electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Futures are off the morning lows as the reopening trade hits a bit of a speed bump. The U.S. calling for a pause in the J&J vaccine. Regulators hold a press conference in an hour. Meantime, inflation hawks dodge a bullet. March course CPI hot by one-tenth at one-six year-on-year. Our roadmap begins with that J&J pause. Federal health agencies making the recommendation following rare blood clot cases after the single-dose vaccine. Plus, we'll look into the potential pause fallout, just what the impact of vaccine of this will be on vaccine hesitancy, reopening timelines, and, of course, that uh, trade involving stay-at-home stocks. And we've got the world's largest SPAC merger. Yeah, SoftBank back grab agrees to go public in a deal that's worth nearly $40 billion. Carl. All right, guys, we'll get straight to the, uh, the news out of the FDA this morning, as well as a statement, Jim, from J&J, in which they say um, we continue to work closely with experts and regulators to assess the data. But at present, no clear causal relationship has been established between those rare events and the Janssen vaccine. Well, look, I think that there are two themes here. One is, is that this is going to pause the reopening. And the second is uh, really what... Uh, what happens when you take this? And I want to point out that when you just go get the flu vaccine, forget this, the flu vaccine, there are people who die from the flu vaccine every year. Uh, this, and it's taken by far fewer than what we expect here. Don't forget, J&J only had about 4 million doses that it was able to give to this country. They were coming from the Netherlands. And that's because the J&J vaccine was being made by Emergent Bio. Emergent Bio has had its systems, systems literally taken over by J&J in the Baltimore factory. So I want to emphasize that Moderna and Pfizer are going to fill in. And I want to hear what the FDA has to say. And it's obviously terrible for uh, the people who have had this, uh, obviously, the blood, the blood cut situation. But, uh, you know, David, what I see this as is it is a speed bump. Uh, not more than that. And J&J had pretty much, let's just say, been relegated to almost an asterisk, given their facts that they've had such problems at an emergent bio facility. Yeah, I mean, Moderna and Pfizer's vaccine have been by far the most prevalent, the first on the market and continue to be given at thankfully rapid rates. But, you know, Jim, listen, we'll defer to the experts, of course. We'll have Meg coming up in a moment as well to fill us in. But give me your take. I mean, 6.8 million doses of the vaccine have been administered in the U.S., and there are six cases of this blood clot called cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. Uh, it's one in a million. Is that typical in your Yo, experience? That's, yes, that's the one in a million, according to uh, the WHO for the flu, uh, WHO for the flu vaccine. Um, and, and I just have to tell you, I mean, I look, I, I think that we haven't pulled the flu vaccine because it has that exact, you know, kind of the exact same numbers. Now, obviously, look, we don't want anyone to have a blood clot. 
uh, and we obviously just expect everybody to do well. But you know what? What it, if you look at what vaccine I have taken every single year? I expect that there's an op- you know there's a possibility that I could get sick from the regular vaccine. Uh, this is kind of the same ratio. So, Carl, before we really just panic, uh, there will be people who take the flu vaccine every year, and that's the number that well, that's the number that people die from. I mean, that's literally the number. And I want to emphasize that people still take the flu vaccine. So I don't think this is going to be the obviously bad for J&J momentarily. But I don't think it's going to hurt the rollout of of the nation's vaccine program at all, Carl. Not at all. Yeah. No, I mean, we should remind viewers that COVID-19 itself creates blood clots in severe cases. 11% of severe cases have deep vein thrombosis. Uh, by the way, Jim, to your point about how fortunate we are that supply XJ&J is so healthy, New York State's got a, a tweet right now yep. saying that all appointments today in New York State that were going to be J&J will simply be filled with the Pfizer vaccine. Right, right. I mean, look, J&J screwed up, all right? They, they outsourced their product to Emergent Bio. Emergent Bios had many, many problems. It's been a real bad move to 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 make it so that Emergent Bio was making their their vaccine. So they had to import what they had, what they could from the Netherlands, which is about four million uh, doses. I mean, I think the J and J was on pause. All right. And so now they're really on pause. And it's a shame. Uh, there are a lot of people who have taken the J&J. I think that they, uh, the ratio is not bad at all, but anybody, of course, who dies is terrible. But can we just say that J&J was not going to be a factor to begin with? And Pfizer and Moderna are in full speed ahead mode. Uh, terrible for anyone who got hurt from J&J uh, or died. One person died. But Pfizer and Moderna are ready. And I don't think this halts anything. David, I, no, if anything, it, I think that, yeah. once again, people want to take the vaccine. Well, but that becomes the question. Does this in some way play into those who are hesitant to begin with, even though it's one in a million? And as you said, one death out of 6.8 million doses administered here in the U.S. Nonetheless, does that play into fears well, that perhaps some in the population have about getting the vaccine? We know that there is... There is hesitancy to begin with, Jim, and we do need a large percentage of people to get vaccinated as quickly as possible. I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat stunned sometimes when you see some of the numbers of certain cohorts. I think it was even the military, right? Did you see the numbers? Like the Marines and things of that nature? Yes. yes. Um, sort 40%. of shocking. 40 percent, right, Carl? I mean, that's a that's a shockingly high yep. number of people who said, no, thank you. At least now it's unclear to me that this doesn't um, hurt the ability to change their minds. Well, we're still at 3.2 million yesterday. Uh, I think that there are a lot of people who uh, just accepted the fact that they were going and getting some vaccine. I now think that people uh, will say, listen, I want the Pfizer. I want the Moderna. I don't want anything else. Uh, But they'll continue to ask because I think that you're going to get it. Look, we have no natural defense against this illness. Let's you know, if you decide that you don't that you don't want a vaccine, you're going to get it. I mean, that's pretty much what's going to happen, especially with this new rapid fire uh, uh, illness, the, the one that's been imported. Carl, I, if you know you're going to get something, I mean, it's your choice is this. You're going to either take the vaccine, which is Moderna and Pfizer, of which we have no real instances of anyone doing anything but but being sick at the second Moderna. Or you're going to get sick with uh, you're going to get sick with with COVID-19. That's your options. There's no other option. Because this thing, we have no natural defense. Can we just accept that and just say, well, some people are asymptomatic? But, Carl, I'm not buying this idea. I don't want this fact. I do not want this illness. 
I don't think anyone wants this illness. They're going for Moderna. They're going for Pfizer. Back to you. Hmm. Uh, Jim, don't go too far. We're going to obviously find out what the regulators say, we think, at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And in the meantime, we'll check in with Meg Terrell this morning, talk about what she knows. And I guess, Meg, uh, the degree to which you're surprised, there had been some on the street, at least. Goldman's a good example from last November that did sort of spell out a downside scenario on J&J because of safety issues and even AZN as well. Yeah, it's certainly an evolving situation right now. We've been following the situation with AstraZeneca in Europe very closely, and it was only on Friday that European regulators signaled they were looking into four cases of blood clots with the J&J vaccine, three of which were reported from the United States, including one death. Now, we checked in with the FDA on Friday, and they said they were looking into these themselves. As of today, the statement we have seen from the FDA and CDC, a joint statement notes there have been six of these cases of extremely rare blood clots among 6.8 million vaccinations with the J&J vaccine in the United States. So these are rare and severe blood clots. It's a combination of a blood clot with a low platelet level. So it has a very specific uh, profile in terms of uh, what to look for. It's not just a normal blood clot. Um, Now, in terms of the um, symptoms that they know, uh, they see them within three weeks of the, oh, sorry, we should also note there, uh, all six of these cases occurred in women ages 18 to 48. The symptoms occurred within six to 13 days after vaccination. And they are putting this out to let doctors know, you know, don't treat this with heparin the normal way you might treat blood clots. Alternative treatment is required here because heparin might actually be Uh, something that you don't want to give. And in terms of what folks should be looking out for, even though this is exceedingly rare, they say within three weeks of vaccination, if anyone feels severe headache, abdominal pain, leg pain, or shortness of breath, they should let their doctors know. Now, guys, you were talking about that statement from J&J earlier. They do know there is no uh, link that has been definitively proven here. No causal relationship has been established, they say, between these rare events and the J&J COVID-19 vaccine. They say they're working with regulators and they are looking at this themselves. And again, we'll hear at 10 a.m. from the FDA uh, about more about their investigations here and how they're looking at this. And then tomorrow, the CDC's advisory committee will meet and have a meeting uh, and have a discussion about um, all of the data and try to figure out the best way forward, guys. Um, but six events out of more than six million vaccinations, it's very rare. Uh, they want to make sure they understand the risk benefit, guys. Uh, Meg, uh, I find this news, uh, let's just say, uh, capricious. Uh, because 274 people, Brian Sullivan and I going back on this, 274 people die each day of clotting. COVID causes clotting. J&J, let's just say, had been very successful with its vaccine. If you look at, say, the, new, the NJ.com today, there's one person, one person who uh, got COVID after they got J, after the J&J vaccine. And that was newsworthy. So can we just accept that it may not be the panic cause that a lot of people are making this, Meg? Certainly, it's really difficult to um, evaluate risk. You know, we hear about something like this and it sounds really scary. The risk from getting COVID is really bad, too. Um, we've been sort of we've become used to that risk of COVID. And so a lot of folks will say the way we think about risk benefit for ourselves is not always um, the way we actually should in reality think about what poses the biggest risk to us. But What a lot of folks I'm seeing say this morning are saying is that the FDA is taking this really seriously. And in some ways, we should be reassured by how careful the regulators are being um, about six cases of these rare blood clots 
ensuring they understand the risk benefit for different populations. This is what we saw Europe do for the AstraZeneca vaccine too, um, so that people can really feel confident in the system um, that what the FDA puts its its uh, stamp on really means it's safe and effective. David? Yeah, uh, of course, as we said, it may have the opposite effect given the numbers are so so small. Meg, thank you. Uh, obviously, we'll uh, pay very close attention to your continued reporting on this developing story this morning. Meg Terrell. Guys, did want to hit before we uh, hit a quick break. Uh, the largest back deal we've seen to date, just back to the market overall uh, this morning. It is um, the Asian, uh, Southeast Asian online food delivery, ride hailing, financial services company Grab. Uh, it's growing very quickly, as you might anticipate. It's an enormous deal valuing the company at just under 40 billion dollars. It's going public via SPAC with Altimeter Growth Corp. This had been reported previously as a likely deal for that SPAC. Uh, And so we'll keep an eye on the shares this morning. Um, They are up a bit, but you can see it already may have reflected to a certain extent the expectations for this being the deal. It's a four billion dollar pipe with another 750 million coming from Altimeter. Uh, They're also committing to a three year lockup on their um, on their SPAC shares itself that they're getting. Uh, other investors, BlackRock, Fidelity, the usual group that you often see in these pipes. But, Jim, what's interesting here as well is it wasn't more than, I think, just months uh, ago that this was valued at half the level it's going public at. To give you some sense as the excitement, at least, that some in the SPAC world are viewing some of these opportunities. They're willing to say, OK, yeah, we'll double that. We'll double that and take you public. Uh, and we'll be keeping a close eye on those shares. Well, why don't they just completely screw up the market with this? I mean, this is beginning to become it. Look, I, I do like the Coinbase, Coinbase deal. I think it's a real company. Uh, but why do hear this at 40 billion? I mean, like, but why don't we just arbitrarily make up just ridiculous prices? I mean, I just look, I think Grab could be very interesting uh, because, wow, it's like a, it, it's an Asian uh, Uber. But I, I just hear it's like, David, I, you can't just double the valuation on, based on what? What happened at the company that it got doubled? That's, Tell me, David, I don't, what? I don't have an answer for you, and I think that's the appropriate question to be asking at this point. Obviously, Brad Gerstner, who's a frequent guest uh, with Scott Wapner uh, at noon on halftime, uh, is a very well-respected uh, investor. And look at that. I didn't even know. I just mentioned his name and he's coming on again today. <laughs> well, <laughs> who knew? Well, but, they're uh, making 50 billion. I'm, uh, I'm making 50 billion I'm because sure he's going to be really impressive. Sure I say get, 50. How do you have 50? How about 60? Do I get 60 in the corner? Six. I got 70 in the back. <laughs> You'll get very articulate answers from him as to why this makes sense. Listen, there's no doubt this is going to be a leader. It's a huge potential market over there. But Jim, that's the key question. And Carl, uh, that, you know, and we'll continue yeah. to be. We'll, we'll watch the shares again. As I said, they they had already had a move up to a yeah. certain extent. You I got can 75 see billion it. on the phone, David. I got 75 billion on the phone. <laughs> Back to you. Check to you. Check uh, to you. I hear Arcagos well, actually. Arcagos may want to corner the market in these shares. So who knows where it could go? Oh, Ooh, yeah. do they actually have what? SpongeBob, too? They got SpongeBob? <laughs> NFL? No, they don't. They don't. But they like it. They like ah. it. Yeah. You never know. But is it, how about not, is it non-token? Is it, you know, is it uh, for the, never mind. Yeah, it's, N- yeah, it's non-fungible P- token N-F-T. delivered to your house. NFT, and yeah, okay. Guys, we'll, uh, we'll okay. wait to see what Whatever Brad say. says on, on the half uh, later on today. In the meantime, quick break. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to March CPI, talk about what inflation numbers told us this morning. Want to get Jim's reaction to NVIDIA's analyst day yesterday, this new war with Intel. 
And uh, that Coinbase call, Adam Offit, as they go to uh, buy on this initiation with a target of 600. Back in a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, package list and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Got a new record high for Bitcoin this morning. It surpasses 63K. Earlier this morning, as you know, best performing asset of Q1. Uh, the surge comes a day before Coinbase is set to direct list on the NASDAQ, gym. And now this Moffitt call, as we keep our eyes open for initiations, they go to buy 600 and they say uh, proven profitability, but not for the faint of heart. Well, I, look, I think Lisa Ellis is excellent. She was one of the first people to get wise to the idea that Square is more than just a cash app. That Square's got the uh, way you can buy uh, Bitcoin in slices. I think that her piece on Coinbase is excellent, and it's really focused on the scarcity issue. Now, there are going to be people all day who say, you know what, I'd rather own uh, Bitcoin than I would own a stock. No, no, that's just not true. What you really rather own is a stock that is, is scarce, that people want, that is uh, really the king of the area. And that's what I I just think this thing could explode. Now, here's one where I think that 92 billion private value is too low, Carl. I think it goes much higher. Wow. Much higher, Jim. Yeah. Why? I do. I mean, listen, I'm reading through the um, through the Moffat Nathanson report that that Carl mentioned. Ninety percent roughly of their uh, core business at this point is driven by retail trading and cryptocurrencies, primarily in the U primarily in the U.S., and they do believe believe that this is sort of going to be a peak year for that for some time. Right. That is the issue. Uh, and by the way, even when you read the documents on Coinbase, they do talk about the possibility that's a peak issue. I just feel like that what's happened is, uh, you know, first, Fred Wilson, old friend of mine, is involved and he's a very, very smart guy. He did the street.com with me. I just look at this thing and I say, give me something that is uh, encompassing all of these different currencies. All of these different cryptos, but not just Bitcoin, uh, because I got a feeling that Ethereum is going to be in fire because Ethereum is the way you buy these uh, non non fungible tokens, David. Uh, And if they do take off, you're going to want to have something that has all of these. Uh, I think that that uh, therefore it will become the de facto way to trade them in the stock market. Right now, we only have Square. So, David, I think it's just one of those notions, and Lisa correctly talks about this, where people just say, okay, I need something in my portfolio that is crypto. Give me some of this. This company's a real good company. And it is, by the way. It's a totally legitimate good company. So it's going to become the de facto way for stock people. Put it in their portfolio, including a lot of portfolio managers who feel like they can't put coin, uh, they can't put uh, crypto in their actual portfolios. Right. Carl, I think that therefore, you know, look, here's what's going to happen. It's a direct listing. 
I don't know if there's going to be enough stock this time uh, to say what I think will be individuals who buy it. Do I think it should be as high as it's going to be? No, you know, it's going to be over enthusiastic, Carl. At the same time, the scarcity value does make it seem like that there is a huge bull case. And uh, Lisa Ellis makes it. She's a believer in crypto. And uh, remember, we all felt that Square was worth far less. And look what they did. I I just think that it's going to be a natural for a lot of portfolio managers. Hmm. Hmm. Now, they do point out, Moffitt does, Jim, that... um they would be looking for, in their words, dramatic, potentially protracted swings. It doesn't sound like you necessarily disagree with that. No, I don't. And and when I look at uh, Bitcoin right now, is that the possibility that thing goes down after this deal is priced, I think is pretty big. And you know what? Look, these direct listings, I mean, just talk about another gimmick that's hard to game. I mean, is it Palantir that doubles? Is it Roblox? Could it be that? I mean, I love Roblox. Hey, could it be Google, which came public at 88? All I know is, is that it's going to be very confused. And, Carl, confusion leads to overvaluation, not undervaluation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tomorrow's going to be big, guys. We'll take a quick break here as uh, we get set for uh, a Tuesday morning open in about nine minutes. Don't go away. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. We led with the J&J news this morning, obviously. Inflation uh, turned out to be, I guess, more of a non-event than some inflation hawks might have expected. Core CPI up 1.6. We were looking for 1.5. Headlines still the hottest since uh, 2018 year-on-year, but yields did tick lower on the news. We're back in a minute. Welcome back. Time for a mad dash, and then we'll get to the opening bell. Amazon shares trailing the broader market by a good amount so far in their performance this year, Jim. Yeah, David, a lot of people feel that it's going to lap some very difficult comparisons, not unlike Costco, which, of course, then turned to blow away the numbers with an 11 percent comp versus very big pantry stocking last year. Okay, so Jeffries comes on with a path. David, it's not a path to 4,700. It's not a path to 5,000. It's a path to 5,700. And how has that arrived at? Well, some of it is your friend SOTP, uh, which is the sum of the parts. I don't think anyone really expects to be broken up. But it's Amazon Web Services. And they're talking about that thing could be worth $1.25 trillion in three years. Well, you know what? Talk about an undervalued asset buried within this company. Uh, And also, this is uh, the advertising should explode. Uh, I want to add also that the uh, unionization failed in Alabama. David, I think that Amazon is about to make up its underperformance. And this Jeffries note is going to really start igniting people talking about it again. So interesting. Yeah, we talk often about, of course, the profitability of Amazon Web Services and the advertising business, which the numbers of which are getting to be very, very large and the margins on which are very, very strong, as opposed to, of course, what we all know Amazon for the retail business, where costs are very significant. 
yeah, look, advertising's big. Uh, don't forget, they're doing very well in, uh, in prime video. And David, one of the things that I, I, I think is pretty amazing here is that core retail, they say, is the long-term beneficiary. But what they didn't talk about is, is, is Adam Slipsky. Uh, Slipsky is Mr. King of this kind of data, and he moved over from Salesforce back to Amazon, which is to me means that those who are worried that Andy Jassy, when he goes up to the, be the CEO, that somehow Amazon Web Services might skip a beat. No, I think that you own this for consumer packaged goods, advertising, and you own it for AWS. You own it because I think that it's going to prove to be a much lower long-term value because of Prime Video. Own Amazon. Don't trade it. Well, we'll see um, how it Amazon, does here at the Bell Gym as, uh, as, the, yeah, yeah, as the reopening trade. You might think there might be some money flowing back into AMZ. And there is the opening bell in the NYSE at the NASDAQ. By the way, Jim, uh, Morgan Stanley's got a list of 12 high conviction names this morning where they think there's a catalyst that will drive shares materially higher in the next, I think it's 15 to 60 days. Amazon's one of them, along with Caesars, Schwab, Halliburton, Real Real, and a few others. Wow. Okay. Eclectic Group, uh, which pretty, pretty much, I think, stands for the fact that of every stock going up. Uh, look, I, I think that we're going to have to watch Coinbase. If Coinbase goes bad, it could be like Uber. Uh, when what does go bad? It means that there really isn't any, any depth to what it opens at, and it goes down from there. That's what I'm waiting to see. Otherwise, look, I, I see uh, you get that inflation number. That didn't disturb the bond market. You have the bond mar- market with a lot, not a lot of trepidation. But I'm more worried about things like Taiwan. I'm more worried about the exotic events. Like, what, oh, yeah, what, are the, what are the Chinese going to do? Are they going to disrupt the supply of chips even further? That's what I'm watching. Uh, and I know, David, when you say you watch Taiwan, people can say, well, you know, what are you going to do? Base your thinking on like North Korea or Iran? I don't know. I'm a little concerned. I mean, how can you not be there? What, they just flew 25 uh, planes over it. Uh, Taiwan is integral to our supply chain. So, David, if it's what the administration is focused on. I think it would be a mistake not to focus on. Yeah, well, obviously you talk about it a great deal in terms of chip supply lately, but you're also docking just in terms of geopol- geopolitical uh, tumult, I guess, uh, Jim. You know, coming back to chips, and I know you covered this yesterday, I assume on MAD. Uh, yeah. There's NVIDIA and Intel at the top. Both are down. But NVIDIA, of course, unveiling a chip that's going to be used in data centers that's going to be many times faster than what is currently the case. What are they calling it? Grace. Uh, and Intel shares suffering yesterday in part as a result of that announcement. What's your take? Well, look, I... <laughs> Jensen Wong was on fire yesterday. He did his, he, uh, he, he did his presentation with the, his telltale uh, leather jacket, but it was done from his kitchen. Uh, it, it, he was unstoppable. Unstoppable because he basically just said, listen, we're going to upend everything. We're going to upend, uh, really going to upend uh, driverless cars, uh, going to upend the data center, going to upend gaming. He's talking about everyone being a gamer. I, his gaming comments are just incredible how big it's going to be. But in the end, yes, he's saying, look out, Intel. Intel owns 90% of that CPU market. Uh, and he's coming in, NVIDIA's coming in with a chip that could be 10 times what anybody has in terms of power. And immediately, uh, they have a deal, it sounds like, with Amazon Web Services, which, of course, is Mr. Cloud. So I thought that this was a remarkable performance. Uh, I want everyone to kind of, you can go over it. It's not a long, it's not a long analyst day. But the numbers that they're talking about, 436 million people gaming? 
the fact that they have much less their lowest latency. It sounds like if you game, you must use NVIDIA and they have an Ethereum chip. I don't know. They got something for everybody, David. Uh, So I think NVIDIA ends up going higher, not lower today. It's not up enough, even though it was up strongly yesterday. The I don't think people have spent enough time going through what Jensen had to say. They'd buy the stock and pay even more, given the fact they had a huge upside surprise, even though the numbers were extraordinarily strong. The estimates were high. So, David, it's not done. NVIDIA's not done. It's not it's done. Just not. And at the same time, do you continue to have a cautious, sort of more cautious view towards Intel, tempering some of those expectations well, about a big comeback anytime soon? You know, well, Pat Gelsinger has been um, adamant that uh, Intel's doing uh, much better than people think, and it's not an expensive stock. But uh, look, if Nvidia's coming in after you, if you don't, if you stay bullish uh, about your own prospects, that's tough because Jensen's been known to destroy a market when he comes in. Uh, and you'll see all the gaming stocks fly, by the way, because he was so bullish on gaming that it, you just have to believe, it. Carl, people are gaming like mad, even if the economy opens. NVIDIA goes higher. Yep. Uh, Cowan today goes to 675. Uh, Wells goes to 715. Jim, you talked about gaming. Obviously, data centers a huge story over there. And then Jensen did talk about the car industry, too. Take a listen. The car industry has become a technology industry. Future cars are going to be completely programmable computers, and business models are going to be software-driven. Car companies will offer software services for the life of the car. The new tech mindset sees the car not just as a product to sell, but as an install base of tens or hundreds of millions to build upon, creating billions in services opportunities. Uh, So, Jim, we have that. And then we have Gelsinger himself at Intel talking about uh, the degree to which Intel might uh, help out the auto industry within six to nine months, he said. Look, um, I think that meeting with the president, uh, the president came at the end of the meeting. He was only uh, there for just a few minutes. Uh, I think the takeaway of that meeting at the White House was these these companies are really in trouble. Uh, They're not going to get any any of the they're just going to get the scraps. Uh, Chinese are hoarding chips. Uh, the uh, attempt to be able to make more chips in this country is talking about two to three years. I love the fact that Intel said it can help out. But, you know, Carl, you can help out. I can help out. David can help out. I mean, it, it's a little idle. We don't have the capacity. So we should just accept the fact that GM and Ford have to lo- Their numbers are not going to come in. Uh, there's going to be the layoffs are going to continue. There's a lot of other industries are hurt. The auto industry in particular just doesn't have chips that uh, they had chips that were really an afterthought uh, for the big makers. And uh, the Chinese didn't regard us an afterthought. It, there is not enough talk about how the Chinese took everything they need. And by the way, they, this is the same process that they took all the PPE. They're just very forward thinking. This is not this was not designed to uh, thwart the U.S., Carl. But the fact is, is that they were worried about running out of chips and we weren't. We were not in touch with the industry. I blame our car companies. I think they, they weren't visionaries at all. They're focused on other things. They got to start focusing on chips. They may have to build their own yeah. foundries. I wouldn't shock me. What? Well, although, Jim, if you listen to what Huawei said yesterday and you look at some of the charts of Chinese production after they got named to the entity list, uh, the general view in China, it appears, is that once we started really targeting them through things like entity lists, that's when they started hoarding. I mean, I guess, can you blame them? 
No, not at all. And we did. We do just in time. They do just in case. They were very smart. It, 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 it's almost like that they were, were regarding this as uh, strategic. But the fact is, they sell a lot of cars there. And they did what I think we used to do, which is say, hey, look, business is really good. Let's stockpile. Don't forget, GM and Ford thought the business was going to be really bad. They made a major strategic mistake. So now they're paying for it. Uh, by the way, their used car market is going insane. I think that we're going to see uh, uh, used car trucks maybe trade through what you can get uh, pay for a new truck because you can't get a new truck. So I think that this was the fall of the uh, uh, of the auto companies being just a terrible read of their own situation and not knowing their own supply chain. I think they literally did not know what this market was like, the people at the top. And it's a shame because I think they pretty much regret their situation right now. David, there was not a lot of foresight. And the Chinese had the foresight and we didn't. Yeah, well, I'll take the other side of the bet that uh, automakers are going to start their own foundries. That, that seems unlikely to me. Um, but interesting. It's an interesting thought. Uh, guys, um, interesting thought. Well, it was the thought that was talked about. Uh, yeah, but really, <laughs> is that a core competency? And we're going to start making chips for? I mean, really? Come on, that's okay. not going to happen. Well, you, what are you saying that I made it up? No, I'm I mean not, I did all I this never You think I made that, it up? No, of course not. I don't think you made it up. I'm just uh, remember what I said. I'm just every, every the kiss begins with favor as an outcome. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I think that the idea that, I mean, they're not the defense department, which had to be, you know, has to be able to do its right. own thing. I, I, I do think that it was discussed. What do we do as part of this national foundry initiative? But David, I mean, the foundries, they all begin with uh, KLA. They begin with uh, land research. Okay. They begin with applied materials. Applied materials does not have a shortage, but uh, they can make the machines they need. But land research they are so overordered that I think that we should stop thinking about buildings and start thinking about what's in the buildings, David. And it's Lamb Research product, and Lamb can't make enough. So can we just own that and move on? Okay, I own it, and I'm moving on. Uh, I'm going to move Thank on to, uh, to Nuance, the deal from yesterday, guys. I just, just want to mention it because, you know, we got the background of the transaction, uh, and it's always interesting to see. These one of the larger deals of this year, of course, as we know, uh, almost $20 billion when you include debt. Uh, Microsoft started at 5350. That was their first offer. And they only went up to 56. And that's where they got the deal done. Uh, and I mention it because, listen, these things typically uh, amount to much. And that most likely will be the case here. You only need a majority to vote in favor. But, Jim, there are a number of shareholders I talked to who are somewhat disappointed with the price. Uh, and yesterday when John Ford asked the CEO of Nuance about it, well, take a listen to his answer. We just saw an opportunity to really you know, to create hyperscaling opportunities on a global basis. And, you know, we're, you know, we're purpose driven here at Nuance, very similarly to Microsoft. We believe we can create more access to care. And we believe that is a great calling for the two companies to come together for. Uh, you know, that means nothing to a current Nuance shareholder who's getting 56 in cash. They're not really interested in what it's going to mean for the company after this. Certainly for uh, for that gentleman who's going to be this continue to be the CEO for employees, important. But for shareholders who are looking at 56 and saying, well, maybe we could have just hung out, hung in there and done better over time. It's an interesting question, particularly because, of course, it is all cash. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on it, Jim. Uh. Uh, David, they had they own this market. They had both Epic and Cerner. 
Those are that's the duopoly that has all our records. It's really incredible how little they got for this one. Uh, so you agree? I, I think you think that, as well? Uh, you, use question, technical... you question? You question? Oh my of... God! Uh, you can't get this information. They had a deal with these two companies. One of them's private, and it was never going to sell. I mean, this was this was the back door to get into the information, David. I'm going to use a technical term that you rarely do. You rarely use the yeah. Nuance shareholders. They were pants. I knew you were going there. Pants. Um, That's yeah. a technical term. <laughs> it is a technical term, Carl. Listen, you know, un, uh, as I said, it's very rare that you actually see opposition mount to be able to vote a deal down or uh, in some way. Icon was in the stock many years ago. But, Carl, interesting to note. Uh, and again, we never got that answer from the CEO as to why 56 was the appropriate number to take in terms of an all cash transaction. Over to you. Yeah, there's always next time, uh, guys. Uh, for the meantime, um, you got um, J&J at about a one-month low, and uh, we'll keep our eye on, uh, on what, obviously, banks are trailing today. Let's get to Bob Pisani. Hey, Bob. Good morning, guys. An awful lot of news today, but is any of it really market-moving? The market's saying, no, not really, and that may be a surprise to a lot of people. Let's just look at the sectors and what's moving. Uh, tech's having a good day. All the mega-cap tech names and uh, mega-cap semis are on the upside. Consumer discretionary's up. Tesla's up. Amazon's having a good day. Modest weakness in industrials, modest weakness in banks. That's not unusual going into earnings season. Remember, banks are the first reporters. You typically get a little bit of a dip. So nothing terribly surprising, kind of flattish on the open. Yes, the reopening plays are down a little. So you have one to two percent declines in the cruise lines, for example, one to two percent declines in the airlines. But that, that's not much. These are high beta names these days, folks. And uh, that's not terribly surprising, that decline. In fact, it's pretty modest. Yes, you have a, a small uptick uh, in the stay at home, work from home uh, names, uh, the Pelotons of the world, uh, the Zooms, uh, uh, Electronic Arts, for example. But it's not much. Again, these are high beta names as well. And so 1% moves, 2% moves. That's not at all uh, unusual. I call that fairly flat. So what is moving the markets right now? I think the important thing is that this is a real a bit of a wild card on Johnson & Johnson, but maybe not as much as people think. Maybe a modest impact on confidence, maybe on the timing of the reopening a little bit, but it doesn't seem to have broader implications on the other vaccines and the other rollouts of those vaccines. The inflation number is very interesting today on the CPI, very modestly higher CPI, but not far from in line. Higher but manageable is what I keep hearing about it and priced into the market there. Again, another big headline number not impacting the markets. Earnings uh, is what I follow. And boy, the expectations are high, folks, really high and maybe too high. It's been difficult to get stocks to rally on good numbers uh, in the last few months on the prior earnings season. Uh, I'll have a lot more to say about that. But that is my primary concern. In terms of what's moving, what everyone's talking about on the trading desk, boy, it's still about that crypto. And I cannot believe the impact people think Coinbase is going to have. Let me just show you this valuation estimates. I've been trying to get my hands around the valuation. This. Nobody seems to get it. I've seen $50 billion, $100 billion, $200 billion valuation. We got a pre-IPO price of $343 floating around, 196 million shares. That's $67 million. MKM is using that. That seems like a good number right now. But think about this. NASDAQ's valued at $25 billion. The NYSE and ICE, the whole ecosystem that the ICE has, 
is 68 billion. Is the market saying that the Coinbase valuation is worth as much as ICE and the NYSE? It seems to be. That's kind of remarkable. What you're going to see here is enormous amounts of buying because this is going to create a whole new group of people that are going to want to get in to the whole crypto asset base. So you're going to see big ETF buyers out there, certainly the IPO ETF, Kathy Wood's uh, ARC uh, uh, FinTech ETF, as well as some of the other ones that are out there. Guys, uh, there's also the Bitcoin ETF floating out there. And I think with a new SEC commissioner, there's going to be a new impetus behind that as well. Guys, back to you. All right, Bob, thanks for that. Yeah, everybody's on the lookout for that, Bob Pisani. Let's get to Rick Santelli on what was an important day for consumer inflation. Hey, Rick. Hello, Carl. And indeed, we could all just pass off inflation. Yes, the year-over-year numbers, which is what many were expecting would be a little hotter, really weren't. But that doesn't mean the numbers weren't warm. If you look at the headline up six tenths, you have to go all the way back to June of 09 to find a larger number month over month, which was uh, eight tenths, as you see on that chart. But there was an awful lot of volatility today, and it wasn't only at 8.30 Eastern, as you see on this intraday 10. Right there at 7 a.m. Eastern, hmm, what was the headline? J&J. J&J was the headline. Now, we could all say that it didn't make a huge difference, but it did. Okay, Interest rates saw that headline immediately went lower. And after the data was out, we're back down. We're at 165. Now, that's not huge. We're down a couple of basis points. But we seem to be following the Dow and the NASDAQ. NASDAQ's doing the opposite of interest rates. Rates have gone down. NASDAQ's a little peppier this morning. And if you open that 10-year chart up to early March, you can see that until we start to settle under 160, 161, this is just going to stay somewhat solid. And most are going to continue to think that interest rates on a knee-jerk move are going to be more apt to be higher rather than lower. On foreign exchange, the euro currency is really starting to do better against many other currencies. Now, if you look at the Chinese currency, the euro versus the yuan, what you'll see is it really has turned up. It's had a very nice end of March, early April. And if you look at how it's doing against the yen, it's almost at a two and a half year high. Just a few days ago, it was at the highest levels since uh, 2018, maybe around October. But we're not far from that levels you see on the chart. And finally, all of that, of course, has taken out some of the steam on the dollar index. Now, here's a chart that goes back two weeks. Okay, to early April, and you can clearly see if we start to spend any more time under 92 even, and we have briefly today, that is going to take the technical wind out of the sails of the upside of the dollar index. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you. Uh, Rick Santelli. Uh, So to start this Tuesday morning, you got some uh, Apple, Fang, stocks doing well, Tesla, some semis in there, lagging this morning, definitely the airlines, some retail, some credit cards, some cruise lines. We're back in a minute. got the CDC FDA press conference about J&J in a few moments. But in the meantime, getting a statement now from the White House COVID response coordinator, Jeff Zients, Jim, who says that the uh, J&J pause, quote, will not have a significant impact on our vaccination plan. In fact, he says that uh, so far, J&J makes up less than 5% of the recorded shots in arms in the United States to date. Yeah, I mean, it's very discouraging at J&J. First, I thought that they were going to make a lot themselves, but they sent it to Emergent Bio, which is a place that really has uh, 
Obviously, the technology is not so great. But more important, Carl, Moderna and Pfizer are in charge of this. J&J is really an asterisk. So let, let's get serious and recognize that J&J was only going to be able to send 4 million vaccines from, from the Netherlands. Not enough to impact anything. Drop in the bucket. So, uh, look, I feel bad than what's happening. I do think that it's no worse than a flu shot. But J&J was not the factor. They just haven't been able to deliver. Extremely disappointing, Carl. Extremely. Uh, shares are off the lows, as you can see. Uh, but as we said earlier, about a one-month low on J&J. We will get stopped trading with Jim after a short break. Let's get stopped trading with Jim. All right. There's a company that's $171 billion. Nobody knows it. It's called Danaher. They actually, a couple of years ago, um, bought... The healthcare, uh, the high, the high growth uh, healthcare part of GE. GE, Larry Culp used to run Dan or Larry Culp runs Dan, uh, GE. He knew the value of it. He wanted the money. This stock is not going to stop at 241. That's crazy. The analysts, it pre-announced this morning. All the analysts have to raise the price target. Look out. This one is going substantially higher from where it is right now. Dan or her. Wow. Uh, look at that chart, which we, we paid a lot of attention to, Jim. Um, when uh, when Culp went to GE. Yep. Danaher's a winner. And boy, I got to tell you, I know Larry had to sell it. Uh, but this you're talking about 57 percent growth for this one hundred and seventy billion dollar company. Will you give me a break? How can this stock only be up seven points tomorrow? It's going to be up another 15 as every analyst hops on it. They all have to raise numbers. Yeah, they do. Amazing. Uh, lo- lo- yeah, a lot of uh, bullish calls on industrials. I see there was a uh, buy signal over at Deutsche on Honeywell this morning, Jim. Well, watch that. What's on Mad tonight? Uh, yes. All right. Well, uh, we have the only analysis that you need from Coinbase. We're going to give you what Coinbase is really worth. And we also have our uh, old friend Ron Shake talking about uh, Part Technology, a company he invested in. But if you want to know what to do with Coinbase, watch us. Because uh, Ben Stoto, who is research director, has been working furiously on the valuation. We've been incorporating Lisa Ellis's work from uh, excellent work from uh, Moffat Nathanson. I cannot wait to talk about Coinbase and what it means. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to to sort of get into what they're all about, especially tomorrow, Jim. We'll we'll see you tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, uh, Mad Money with Jim Cramer. Thank you. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.